Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning and welcome to this morning's Signpost webinar. Uh, my name is Pat Murphy, Head of Environment, uh, Environment Knowledge Transfer with, with Chagask. Uh, this morning's webinar is brought to you in association with uh, Dairy Sustainability Ireland, uh, National Rural Network and Food Drink Ireland's uh, Skillnet. And this morning we'll be continuing on the theme of last week where we were looking at the, uh, the food industry and, and, and sustainability. Uh, and I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Emer uh, Fardy and uh, Sean Leahy uh, uh, from Hilton Food Group. Uh, Emer uh, is uh, Group CSR, the Senior Manager with uh, Hilton Food Group, uh, based in Huntington in the UK. And Sean Lee is a Sustainability Manager for Hilton Foods Ireland, based in, in Drogheda. You're both very welcome. We're also joined by uh, Noel Meehan uh, to help with, with questions later on. So Emer, you might just give us, a, a, I suppose, a, a brief introduction to Hilton Foods and, and your role with them. Um, hi, hi everyone. Yeah, so my name is Emer Fardy, as Pat said, and I'm the Group CSO or Senior Manager at Hilton Foods. So basically, we'll bring you through the group in much bigger, in much more detail. Um, but my role within it is I work on the um, corporate social responsibility team, and basically, it's my role to support our sites in delivering our sustainable protein plan, um, and then any projects or any market specific requirements that they need to That's me. Okay, and Sean, you're based in Dundalk? No, Drada. 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 I made that mistake earlier. You're based in Drada, apologies. No uh, problem. And you're a sustainability manager in the Irish operation. Yeah, technical and sustainability manager. So I'd be uh, responsible for the local aspect of delivering the local aspect of the plan. Okay. Well, listen, without further ado, I'll let you tell your story uh, about, I suppose, how you're uh, looking at, at uh, developing a s- sustainable food chain for your, your customers. Uh, so if you want to share your presentation and, and uh, we'll come back with questions later. And just to remind everybody to use the questions and answer uh, tab down at the bottom uh, to submit questions. Okay, thanks, Pat. Uh, so just, just to start off, so I just want to uh, start off by thanking um, Thanks for the invite to to participate, um, and just you know, it's a, a re, you know, it's, it's great to be involved in in the signpost series, and we've really enjoyed it to date. Um, so, and just uh, thanks to everyone for listening, and hopefully you'll find something useful in, in what we're about to say. Um, so, just going to start off with just a general introduction to Hilton Foods, um, and then Emer is going to take you through. Um, just some information about how the, how the consumers are reacting to sustainability from our, from our own experience. Um, and then we're going to just um, both take you through our sustainable protein plan, which is really the driver for our sustainability in our company. Okay, so just going to start off with a uh, quick introduction in the form of a video. Um, so hopefully give you a flavor of the company and a bit of information, and then we'll take you a bit through a little bit more of the, the detail then. Okay, thank you. At Hilton Food Group, the success of our customers is our number one priority. We listen to their needs, form dedicated long-term partnerships, and work to their goals and targets. 
From innovative products to adaptable supply chains, we work tirelessly with our global network of customers 365 days of the year. Best-in-class product and category management have always been the cornerstone of our business. We supply fresh meat, fresh and frozen fish, poultry, vegan and vegetarian, and deli products. Operating the most technologically advanced, state-of-the-art food factories globally, we guarantee that our customers have the most cost-effective and adaptable supply chain models in their markets. And just as importantly, we care about the impact. We are leading the way on recycled, sustainable content in all our packaging. We are committed to cutting down on emissions, carbon footprint and waste. And we are committed to the highest level of food safety in the industry with dedicated, tried and tested systems. To deliver all of this, we have forged a committed supply base, working with our suppliers for over 25 years to ensure the highest standards of animal welfare, product quality and accuracy, while delivering absolute value to our customers. Our people are at the center of everything we do. We recognize that to achieve the best from our employees, we must provide an optimal working environment and instill a sense of purpose. Not only that, but we invest in their training and they take pride in their work. The proof is in our product. Our business is built on strong personal relationships and lasting alliances. With decades in the industry, our original values of dedication, ambition, curiosity, entrepreneurship and resilience are still as relevant as ever. Hilton, the team you can trust. Hopefully that give you a bit of a flavour of our company. So I'm just going to take you through um, a little bit of history and background of, of how the company came about and how, how it got to where it is today. Um, so just to, give you, to go back in time a bit, um, in 1994, um, we began one site, um, which to this day is our headquarters in Huntington in the UK. Um, and this plant really pioneered the concept of centrally prepared meat um, in partnership with our, with our partner, Tesco. Um, so really, the, the idea is obviously to take, you know, a lot of the labor out, out of the out of the industry um, and actually, you know, pre prepare pre-packed and then making it more a more efficient supply chain. Um, then in 2000, we took the same model and brought it to the Netherlands and um, working with one of the leading retailers in, in the Netherlands. Um, and following on, on from the success of these factories, we added additional factories in Sweden, Poland, Denmark. And also in 2004, um, we built a factory in Drogheda, um, and again in, in partnership with our with our local retailer Tesco Ireland, um, and you know developed the same model here here in Ireland. Um, in 2007, the company it had been a private company and, and it floated on the stock exchange at, at that time, and that really boosted investment and increased the, the pace of growth within the company. Um, and then some some kind of highlights, you know, further highlights in their development. In 2013, we entered the Australia-New Zealand market, um, and that 
that business today has four factories, including the, the most recent um, factory built in Auckland in New Zealand. Um, and then in 2016, we, um, we created a trading division for a company uh, called Hill and Food Solutions. And that will be a kind of a main, you know, outlet for a lot of pro- Irish product, you know, that, that company would buy a lot of Irish product and distribute it glo- globally. Um, but at that point, we really started to diversify too. So we ac- acquired um, a large seafood processor in Grimsby in the UK going into that area. So we're, we're, we're a major uh, um, company in, involved in seafood. Um, that company is now called Hilton, Hilton Seafood. Um, and we also got involved in vegan and vegetarian through the acquisition of a company called Dalco in the Netherlands. Okay, so really diversifying our product range. Um, and we also, we we're also involved in, in slow cook and convenience, which is kind of the late, latest development to that. Um, and we also, our latest venture is in the last year, we um, took over a major food service company called Fairfax Meadow in the UK. So again, really just, you know, building, building on our success and, and diversifying our product range. Uh, so just in terms of um, kind of what we consume in terms of, of particularly Irish product. Um, so just to summarize, we consist of 18 sites globally um, operating in 16 countries. Uh, we employ about 5,400 staff in total. Um, our, our aim is really to be the protein partner of choice for our customers. So typically our retail partners. Um, we're, I think we're quite important in terms of our, what we consume from an Irish product perspective in that we consume about 45,000 tons of Irish meat in total across mostly our European sites, um, of which about eight, about, sorry, about 67% of that is actually consumed by our factories abroad, so not including the Irish site. Um, and in total, that equates in beef terms, that's about, about 7% of, of beef exports. Uh, so just in terms of the site, so the site in Andrada, um, we process about 16,000 tonnes of Irish meat a year. Um, we like to think that we're, you know, we've really kind of pioneered the market here and that we've been a major part of the evolution of, of this sector, um, really kind of um, creating kind of new formats in terms of a new pack, uh, pack preservation formats. Uh, the advent of fixed weight portioning and really superior product presentation. Okay, okay everyone, um, I'm now going to take you through the consumer and how they're responding to sustainability. So the sustainable conversation. Environment and sustainability is one of five mega trends driving consumer demand, together with convenience, health, economic uncertainty and indulgence. A new era of sustainability is rising, driven in part by consumers, governments, corporations, and the growing visible effects of pollution and climate change. This is influenced by a number of factors, including the growing buying power of a new generation who are more aware of sustainability, government interventions such as this, uh, at the ban of single-use plastic, new to market distribution industry players investing in more sustainable solutions and continuing media. The definition of sustainability is involved to include the product life cycle. This requires collaboration across all participants in the product life cycle to ensure sustainability is a circular approach. 
Social consciousness and sustainability are growing in importance to customers when making decisions about their lives, food and grocery shopping. This is creating a demand for brands and retailers to find alternative sustainable solutions and educating their consumers on the right choices. It is clear to see that the speed of change is getting faster, but it must gain more momentum and the consumer is waiting. The sustainable conversation has gone mainstream, but generations are reacting differently. Gen Z are the world's largest generation and their spending power is growing. They're the first generation to grow up with the internet and social media, making them a very connected generation globally. They are open-minded and have a strong sense of social and environmental consciousness. They are prepared to take action now with a loud and clear sustainable voice. They've been born into the environmental problem sustainable habits in their DNA, and they, they believe they have a responsibility to take it seriously. They see climate change as the biggest challenge facing their generation. Millennials, this is the disruptive generation, started the quest for a more sustainable future and are experts in champion causes via social media. They were the first generation to hear climate change as a global conversation happy to create noise and even to change behavior to support the sustainable cause. But they also need to get personal gratification from doing so, which Gen Z do not. Gen X, the parent of Gen Z, who influences and are influenced by them. A generation that is used to adapting to change and changing behavior. This is now focused on sustainability as their awareness and knowledge increases. Like the millennials, they too would like to personally benefit from change while also helping the planet. Baby boomers, this is the post-war generation that enjoys the choices they have. They are supportive of sustainability initiatives, the changes that have hit the mainstream. But unlike the millennials, they do not, need, they do not wish to make lifestyle changes. They would rather pay for change through changing their purchasing decisions. Consumers are becoming more aware of key environmental issues such as single-use plastic and food waste. There are four key areas that consumers are focusing on. Firstly, reducing the amount of meat consumed due to messages on the negative impact of animal protein. Consumers are focusing more on reducing red meat in favour of plant rather than poultry and fish. Secondly, reducing the amount of food waste through buying less, batch cooking, and becoming more aware of when food is coming to the end of its life. Consumers are aspiring to buy pro products that are local and buying less imported fruit and veg, but often the price premium for these products becomes a barrier to consumers actually making the switch. Since the pandemic, a consumer's desire to support local has increased due to wanting to support local communities and witnessing firsthand the issues with distribution to supply chains. They're trying to recycle as much as possible from plastic, paper, tins, glass, and food. On the other side, consumers are also avoiding products with excess packaging and are happy to buy loose fruit and veg and bread wrapped in paper. It's becoming more common to see consumers with re refillable coffee, coffee cups and water bottles. 
These changes are iconic, but there is still a throwaway culture that increasingly consumers are showing they're willing to make a change. Consumers want to make ethical and sustainable choices, but only if their other needs are being satisfied. It is a balance of value, convenience and choice. We have to view sustainable solutions economically. We are in a time of inflation and the consumer is more price aware than ever. Not all sustainability trends provide equal opportunity for growth. Globally, there is one trend that is hitting the sweet spot driven by a mindful consumer that is connecting personal health and planet health. This is an emotive and more personal way of supporting the sustainability trend which is particularly important to the millennials. Healthy for me includes low fat, low salt, gluten-free and high protein. Healthy for the planet includes animal welfare, eco-friendly, carbon neutral and recyclable. The most dominant output from this healthy for me and healthy for the planet trend is the reduction in meat in favor of plant protein where both consumer and planet health benefit. The connection of personal and planet health are also driving the growth of unpacked claims towards organic, all natural ingredients, no artificial ingredients, preservative free, GOM free, antibiotic free and hormone free. This is where consumers believe more natural food will taste better for them, better for the environment. Products that carry those claims, however, tend to be more expensive than their traditional counterparts. Therefore, sustainable alternatives are seen as a premiumization of the category, which leads to price being a barrier for some. Consumers only spend a few seconds on each purchase. It is vital to have strong and effective sustainable messaging across. There are some very clear rules that are emerging from successful brands. The underpinning theme is to be clear in telling the consumer what is in it for them. In a world where the internet allows consumers to check the validity of any claim, it must be authentic. Failure to do so can be very damaging. We need to tell a compelling story. Sustainability is an emotional topic. Ensure the sustainable message, message achieves some emotional connection to the consumer. Ford Bia have done a great job in telling the Irish story. Packaging is currently the center of the conversation. But to consumers, sustainable messaging needs to be multi-layered. Keep it relevant through understanding what is motivating the consumer to change to more sustainable products. Raise the bar, be industry leading, be the first to make a claim. Consider the whole product life cycle, all, pro um, all product components and create greater synergy. Now we're going to take you through our Hilton Foods Sustainable Protein Plan. So this is a survey of 800 businesses, government and civil service leaders by the World Economic Forum, showing that climate change risks are more of a concern than geopolitical conflict, weapons of mass destruction, pandemics and cyber attacks. We know the facts, climate has changed and we are not doing enough. David Attenborough is an extremely trusted voice. It is beyond debate, our actions over the next 10 years will define our planet for, for hundreds of generations. Biodiversity is equally endangered and we have a direct impact on this, on both the land and in the oceans. 
we are currently at 1.2 degrees above pre-industrial pre levels. As a society, we have deemed 1.5 to be the best realistic case, but this still has negative consequences. As a business, we've moved our ambition from two degrees to 1.5, as we felt contained, contained harm was still too great. As you've seen, we have a very diverse portfolio of products, including vegan, vegetarian, meat and seafood. And they have more shared agendas than you might have thought. And we need collaboration across the proteins to address these issues. Most of these issues speak for themselves, but I'll pick out a few that might be less on your agenda. Antimicrobial resistance is a real and significant health risk. A lot has been done to address the misuse of antibiotics in agriculture, and it is important that this work continues and new innovations to ensure healthy, healthy animals are utilised. Methane is specific to cattle, and we won't go into the GWP star versus GWP 100, but it's important that we're using the best science to drive these decarbonisation plans. Human rights in an, in an increasingly mobile labour force. We need to ensure basic standards of health, fair recruitment, unemployment, and good living conditions for all workers. Plastic is not the demon it's made out to be. We need circularity of use across sectors. As switching from plastic to other materials, we may be increasing our carbon footprint. There's an increased interest from legislative policymaker and society in these areas. There's significant progress from the EU and the UK on ensuring that products that contribute to deforestation do not enter their markets. The UK have just held a consultation on implementing due diligence on forest risk commodities. It is likely that this legislation will ask businesses such as ours to demonstrate that they have managed their risk in this area. This means both as a direct ingredient and as soy embedded in animal feed. The UK is an important market for, for Irish animal products and companies will, will need to be able to demonstrate that the soy used in animal feed has not contributed to illegal deforestation. From a human rights perspective, we've moved from a time of guidance now to one of real action. There's increasingly legal mandatory due diligence coming from the EU that companies must demonstrate that they are managing their human rights risks regardless of country of origin. This includes migrant workers and agency workers. Consumers outside of Ireland will need to be able to demonstrate that their Irish supply chains meet requirements in their own operations throughout their supply chain and on supplying farms. 18% of all forced labour victims from the UK come from the UK agricultural sector. We often see labour exploitation happening in supply chains where workers are procured via labour providers like migrant seasonal workers. It's now seven years after the adoption of the United Nations Paris Agreement on Climate Change. Ireland is legally binded to net zero emissions by 2050. Companies such as ours are committed to science-based targets and the EU's farm to fork strategy has a clear focus on, on farm level reductions. Improving the lives of animals continues to be of great importance. We've seen a move towards cage-free systems and an increasingly strong ask from NGOs. Animal welfare is really important consideration while we strive to reduce emissions on farms, as it's important our standards and systems aren't compromised and we continue to improve the lives of animals. Sustainable diets is not a new concept 
and enabling customers to make choices that are better for them and better for the planet is a key mechanism of the farm support strategy. So just to take through our plan, our, our 2025 sustainability plan has three key pillar, pillars, uh, people, planet and product, which are the three areas of, of focus, each with its own, with their own goals and, and targets, which we've published. Um, our people are, are really at the heart of our success, which is why valuing people uh, and their health and safety and well-being is our first priority. Uh, we, are in, we are an inclusive organization built on respect with equal opportunities for skill skills development and career, career development. Um, it's essential that every person in our supply chain is treated fairly and rewarded appropriately for their work, whether on farm or fishing vessel, um, in an abattoir or in a distribution center. And protecting human rights is about building a fairer society, society and a food system for all. Um, so we have, a we have a responsibility as a business to play our part in ensuring that we move towards a food system that is operating within planetary, planetary boundaries. For this reason, we, we are committed to being a net, net zero business. Um, we recognize that this is a major undertaking for, for our whole supply chain and have committed to science-based targets um, to demonstrate our progress on this journey. Uh, we will, will enhance animal well-being by driving standards and innovation in the care of animals that enhances their li lives and reduces the use of antibiotics. Uh, but, and by being nature positive, we will be collaborating to improve our stewardship of land and sea, uh, promoting biodiversity, addressing deforestation and protecting water and soils. Uh, each year, year we provide an estimated 150 million people with access to high quality nutrition and we are committed to continue to help e each of them make better choices, better for their health, uh, better for, for, for people and better for the environment. To provide healthy di diets, we aim for efficient regenerative, regenerative food systems, producing more accessible and nutritious proteins. Uh, we are striving to develop a circular economy for packaging and bringing waste materials back into use across the value chain. Uh, we aim to minimize food waste along the way uh, and also minimize packaging, energy and water usage, usage um, across the supply chain and also facilitate uh, redu reduction in people's homes. Um, we, under we understand that this strategy is large and covers you know, a huge area. And no one company can address alone for this reason. Uh, and we work collaboratively with our suppliers and customers to address them. And we also work together with experts in industry forums to tackle these, these issues globally. And that's why it's great to be involved here today. Um, uh, and a good, a good example of that is that we're, we're, um, we're collaborating with the European Roundtable on Beef Sustainability. Uh, and we actually, as a company, we hold the chair, the vice chair for the, for the, for, um, for the ERTBS um, by our, our CSR director, Nigel Edwards. Um, so I didn't mention we're also involved, we've got a stake in, a, in a, a, an organization called Foods Connected, um, which is an online platform for tracking data across the supply chain. Um, and we're very keen supporters of this. And it's really about bringing information, you know, um, uh, in terms of making a more efficient supply chain and actually collecting data and gathering data throughout the supply chain. Um, 
So we don't own any of our own feed mills or farm vessels or abattoirs. Uh, we buy primals and ingredients typically and process them into retail packs. Um, but we're continuing to work with Foods Connected to enhance transparency through digi digitization of, of data capture within our own business and throughout the supply chain. Okay, so I'm now going to take you through what we've achieved and what we're aiming for under each pillar. So from an our people perspective, we have a global health and safety framework aiming to reduce accident rates and have health and safety language neutral signage. We have a global inclusivity and diversity program. We sponsor Meet Business Women and we've launched our women's network aiming to achieve a 30% of senior roles in Hilton held by women and promoting the value of careers in food manufacturing to all. We have a leadership development programme to support young, young talent in coming through our organisation. And we published our first group human rights policy, recommitting to the UN guiding principles. And we developed a group-wide risk assessment and approval system. We're aiming for human rights due diligence programme across the entire group and an ethical code for all Hilton suppliers. From a planner perspective, we've um, had our science-based targets approved and we're committed to net zero and we're aiming for net zero farming and sustainable aquaculture. We're founder members of the Soy Transparency Coalition and signed the UK Soy Manifesto with with the aim of, of reaching net zero deforestation. We use, algal oil, we use sustainable algal oil and insect meal and salmon, and 98% of our direct supply fisheries come from MSC certified, are currently MSC certified, and we're, we're currently involved in fishery improvements to meet the MSC standard for the remaining two. Um, we've committed to half our food waste by 2030, and we were awarded the Compassionate World Farming Award for the first electrical stunning system for farm prawns. We've been on the Global Gap Standard uh, Committee since it began. From a product perspective, we're sponsoring the Global Meat Alliance to build a positive fact-based narrative. What we want is we want a framework to, com to communicate the role of nutritious proteins in a climate-friendly food system. We want industry-leading innovation in vegetable proteins and vegetable inclusion and enhanced nutrition. We've built a carbon footprinting tool with the Carbon Trust. We've achieved 70% recycled content across our entire trays. Most of our trays are 100% recycled PET and recyclable. We've eliminated PVC and polys, I can never say this, sorry, polystyrene from our products. We've launched mono, um, or PET pet trays and film solutions, and all of the paper and board are FSC or PEFC sustainably certified. In addition to this, uh, Hilton Foods have reduced their food waste by 56%. So this is just to show us that, to show you that behind each of our pillars, we have um, areas of focuses which have goals and then targets. So the one I'm going to talk about now is how we're going to achieve our science-based targets across scope one, two, and three. So most, if not all, of these webinars have been focused around reducing emissions. So I thought it would be interesting for you to show you our emissions. In 2020, we, we produced 16 million tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalents. Sorry, I don't know why this thing keeps closing. 
Um, this dropped to 15.8 in 2021, and this is equivalent to all the emissions from houses and cars in Ireland for a year, or to, or to the emissions from entire countries such as Croatia and Lithuania. Our emissions are broke down into scope one, two and three, one occurring on our sites, scope two indirect emissions from producing energy uh, for, for our sites, together accounting for 57,000 tonnes. Our scope three are broken into, are broken into agricultural emissions and non-agricultural emissions scope three. As you can see, agricultural emissions make up the majority of this and beef is a significant contributor. If you look up the top right hand corner, you can see our volume versus our emissions. And you can see that beef accounts for almost 50% uh, in terms of volume, but the emissions are over 80. Again, this breaks down our emissions further, showing cattle as our biggest contributor, but I thought you'd be interested to see what the other air, um, how the other areas contribute. Um, another area of focus for us in planet is enhancing animal welfare. We have a target to have 100% humane slaughter of animals across all products, including aquaculture. So for background on this, all animals in all markets that supply Hilton Food Group are effectively stunned. And Hilton Seafoods have made significant progress to improve standards of humane slaughter. They did this by bringing, by bringing an electrical stunner to warm water prawns. And this was a technology that they were currently, that they were previously involved in bringing to, to sea back seam breeds. And what this does is it's a faster method to render the prawns unconscious and insensible to pain than the widely used ice lorry. It reduces um, and it reduces handling, which is a hot spot, which is a hot spot of slaughter. And it provides a better consistency of stun. It has greater efficiency and a reduction in labor during the harvest process. The next step for Hilton Seafoods in this area is to investigate whether bringing this electrical stunner to wild capture is possible. Uh, so just um, just to give you show you a bit, little bit of um, information on how we're you know implementing the plan locally. So um, we've set challenging targets for packaging, energy, water usage, recycling, and food waste. Uh, and a good example of that is a reduction of food waste by fifty by fifty percent, um, which we're I think we're we're very close to achieving at this stage. Um, and we've also put a really big focus on employee well being on our on our site in Drada. Um, and uh, accreditation to the keep IBEX keep well mark is a, is a key part of that. Um, and one of the things that we're very proud of is our um, relationship with Food Food Cloud. Um, so there's really kind of a headline initiative for us in that that through our partnership with Food Cloud, um, we've actually supplied them in the last two years with um, over 25 tons of of meat, um, which equates to over 60,000 really highly nutritious meals. Um, and, and we believe also that that actually meat contributions actually drives a lot of other, um, you know, a lot of other contributions in this sector, and that it's part of a balanced diet that they can supply to, to um, their their users. Okay, so that's actually the end of the presentation. So hopefully um, you find it useful, and I think we'll move on to the questions and answers. Thanks for that. That's, uh, I suppose, one of the, the things that certainly comes across is 
the breadth of our definition of, of sustainability in, in, in the context of what you do is, is just staggering in, and, and growing all the time. And it must be difficult to keep your heads around all the emerging elements of, of, of sustainability. Is that a, a major challenge for you? Yeah, look, it is. We have a we have a group team and we have quite a few experts on that team. So fortunately, it's not any one person's job to understand all of the areas. <laughs> if it was, you would struggle. Um, but I think sustainability, we do tend to focus on the environment and the environment is a really important part of sustainability, but it's not all sustainability. Um, so keeping abreast of the challenge, especially considering how many markets we both purchase from and supply into, because although everybody is tackling the same challenges, they are doing it in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, we need to be flexible with that. Okay. One of the, 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 the you, you showed a graphic there, which, which kind of uh, showed in terms of um, greenhouse gas emissions, the impact of, of beef, uh, and there is, I suppose, a substantial difference in the in the footprint of, of beef from different sources uh, and different regions. Does that influence your decision on, on where you source your, your product? Yeah. So, Pat, being completely honest with you, where we've all gotten to in this space around science-based targets is developing a baseline. I think that that is going to become much greater over the next few years as people have to be at people, companies, organizations need to be able to demonstrate their reduction against their targets. Um, so I think that that's coming sooner rather than later. Okay. The, I suppose the other thing, uh, you had a slide there where you looked at the various parts of your business and, and how you're uh, uh, reacting to it and, uh, or how you're uh, trying to, to uh, operate in. And you looked at, you talked about the, the feed supply where you influence and the farmers where you guide. Yet, uh, I suppose if you look at the uh, uh, sustainability of, of uh, uh, and a lot of the criteria of sustainability, they're going to be hugely about what happens on the farm. Yeah. So, I, I, and the one thing I, I got from your presentation is the absolutely massive amount of work you're doing within your own control. Uh, so how are you going to influence that, that piece that's, uh, on the farm before it comes to you? And that seems to me to be the big question for the future. Yeah, I agree with you completely, Pat. And to be truthful, again, it, it's very different depending on the markets um, as to how, how we do influence that piece. So like Sean said, um, Nigel, my, um, our director, is the vice chair on the European Roundtable on Beef Sustainability. And they send outcome targets that regional roundtables need to be able to publish progress against. Um, Board BIA do it for Ireland, the UK cattle sustainability do it for the UK. Um, and I lead the environmental work stream within the UK. And what that is about is it's about providing farmers with one ask and, and that needs to be developed in collaboration with them and it needs to be realistic and something that we can implement. But we have been guilty of a lot of asks coming from the market and that's why we're so heavily engaged in this collaboration and trying to get one voice, one ask behind what we're doing. So we 
Um, we're also involved. We're involved with our suppliers and in running initiatives and knowledge exchange and all of that. But it's the one ask I think is the, the biggest challenge and it's the biggest thing that we can do for the industry. Okay. Uh, no questions being yeah. started. Yeah. Running. Just to remind you that if you have questions, uh, just to put them in the the, the Q and A. Yeah, I suppose um, there's a couple of questions in here sort of similar from, from different people and it's around, um, I suppose, uh, you, you talk about people and uh, economic sustainability and so on. And, and the question really is, is does that extend to the farmer uh, as in give, giving the farmer a, a price that is is uh, makes their livelihood sustainable? So I suppose it's it's obviously um, a lot of price pressure out there at the minute with, with for farmers. So, you know, is there... You know, you talk about um, workers, employees, right? So I suppose they're, they're, I guess they're extending that out into the suppliers or the primary producers um, and making sure that they have a, a sustainable uh, living wage. I think it's, it's kind of where the questions are coming from. Yeah. Look, to be honest, as a business, we buy primals. We don't buy animals, um, which I know is a, a cheeky way out of answering questions, but we do buy primals. Um, and in truth, we do pay more for Irish primals. Now, there is like the customer is under a severe price pressure, too. But what we need to be able to do is have the. The market pull like there is a market pull for sustainable products, but we need the transparency behind them to be able to give that. And Borbia, I do think the Borbia scheme is a really good one and it will resonate with customers. And I think going forward, the likes of it is what people will need to demonstrate what, what companies, I keep saying people, but I mean, what companies will need yeah. to demonstrate their progress against their targets. Okay. Um, another question in there is, um, to, uh, I'd like to ask Emer to clarify if customers' decisions to reduce red meat rather than poultry or pork stacks up environmentally. Look. Um, nice handy one for you. Yeah, nice handy one. Um, we have a, as an industry, we have a bad reputation um, and we're trying to overcome it. Um, and there's been a lot of progress in, in, that, in that overcoming it piece. Um, a, a kind of a side conversation, but I brought my, um, my, best, my best friend's cousins over here for uni and I brought her um, out for dinner and she stopped eating beef for no other reason than for the environment. And she had absolutely no idea what that meant. But she was able to say to me, beef's bad for the environment, so I'm going to stop eating it. And she had stopped eating it. And I was like, okay, but how is it? And, and there was, do you know, that perception is behind, that, is behind beef. Um, and also a challenge we have globally is in Ireland, and don't quote me on this, but everybody, like the majority of people are what, two, three generations from a farm. You're talking to people who understand. When you move into other markets, that that understanding is less and less and that's a real challenge for us to get that messaging across to people about like for example we will never have carbon neutral cattle okay but we can have carbon neutral farms the sequestration piece like that's not understood and that's a really complex message and it's about bringing people's edu overall education up. It's not something that I think we'll properly ever be able to communicate on shelf edge because on shelf edge, they consumers only spend two or three seconds there. They don't spend enough time for us to get something that complex over. 
Okay, just, just like to add to that, just in terms of, you know, um, obviously emissions is probably the, the big headline grabber in terms of beef, but, you know, it's only one aspect of it. And, and I would say on most other measures, beef and lamb will typically be, you know, ahead of the competition. So if you can really address the emissions, it, put, it puts beef and lamb particularly in a really, really strong place. There's a, an issue there, and you, you raise it yourself, about uh, the, the sustainability across the entire uh, food production system versus a kind of a niche or a number of niche uh, uh, issues. And maybe it's not fair to call, say, organics niche. But where do you see yourselves in terms of moving forward, in terms of embracing the the I suppose the the, the more niche uh, environmental high environmental standards versus bringing the entirety of the uh, uh, production up to really high standards. So I think we need both. So we need to bring the baseline up, um, and I think that's that's a challenge for the industry. There's also a real place for hero lines, but they are which which is like. If anybody's got net zero beef, we'll have it. Um, but that will sell really well, but it is to a small number of consumers. It is to a smaller number of consumers. Okay, and uh, I suppose one of the things that strikes me, you're, you're uh, uh, and I suppose slight aside, but uh, uh, you're a, a British-based initially uh, company, but now with operations all over. How has Brexit, uh, interfered with your your ambitions to to become a a sustainable food uh, a supplier and has it been something that's really caused your problems or is it something that that you have managed to to i suppose uh, embrace and, and get around <laughs> that's a question Pat. um look brexit is has been a massive challenge um but in terms of sustainability it depends on how you're defining sustainability. Like the agendas have kept going. Um, in terms of sustainability, like the UK is an import is an import market. They they're not self sufficient, so that's been a huge challenge in terms of making sure that there was enough product and a food security. Um, as to the rest, it's definitely been a challenge, but the agendas are still moving. Okay. And, and the UK other, does uh, ask a lot, like they, yeah. they, they are, they're leading in a lot of areas of what they expect. You alluded to the, the, the uh, I suppose, the, the two fundamental changes that have, have come around in the area of, of sustainability. One is, is regulation, and I suppose the other is, is consumer choice. Where do you see the relevant, the relevant impacts of, of those two going forward? Are we going to be driven by regulation or are we going to be more uh, demanded by consumer preference to change what we do? I think there's huge benefits to both mechanisms um, and both mechanisms are really important. Like the legislation coming through on deforestation, um, I genuinely believe is the right direction of travel. Um, but there is a massive challenge in ensuring that that is fit for purpose and that it doesn't put a massive burden, um, but still means that we're able to demonstrate that our risk is managed. Um, 
consumers are definitely becoming more aware and they're 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 definitely going to they're definitely per, um you they're definitely purchasing with their with their kind of purchasing what they believe in more and i think that's definitely growing and as as people in their 20s become older that's going to grow more there's also a real need to kind of gain credibility with consumers so that's driving i think a lot of initiatives okay. yeah um so there's a couple of questions i suppose it's, it's maybe getting a little bit more specifics around um you know you put up the slide there where you had you had reduced uh, carbon emissions uh, equivalent to the to the size of of croatia and so on so i suppose the question is is around how what are you doing to do that or how are you achieving that and i suppose then are you going to go farther and um you know from from you know say in in draha to there how, how have you pro progressed that or, or in any other your plans how are you going to drive that down and drive that down and then i suppose an add-on question to that then um does that is, is that making you more profitable as well uh, how, how is that impacting on your on your uh, like your 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 profitability so i'll speak over Arshina and then i'll get sean to come in locally um but firstly apologies if i miscommunicated we haven't reduced in line with um, a small european country that's our total emission yeah sorry maybe i picked it up wrong i'm <laughs> sake. No, that's fine. So we're using a very target measure act approach. So we, um, uh, Tom, who's our group senior sustainability product sustainability manager, he's pulled together um, our um, our baseline at a really granular detail, and now we're working through developing those decarbonisation plans. And regardless of how of how of how much carbon. And the areas are are producing, they still have decarbonisation plans, um, and the aim is to be net negative. Uh, well, the aim is first to be net zero, and then hopefully um, to to meet, to come to a place where we are net negative. Just on that point, when you talk about uh, net negative, uh, it, it, that's a real challenge if you're if you're taking in the agricultural uh, emissions as well, and it's uh, yep. it's going to take on a lot of influencing of parts of the industry that are uh, parts of the production chain that you you don't uh, operate with at the moment. So, have you plans in terms of the interaction with primary producers? Uh, and uh, and how is that likely to to manifest itself over the next number of years? Yeah, so we do engage with primary producers, and we engage with the likes of we have really good relationships with Borbia, we have really good relationships with Red Tractor, we have really good relationships with all those assurance schemes. Um, and basically, we don't want to double count. So that's part of the decarbonisation plan is understanding what. Um, um, what is currently happening in each market, how that's going to affect emissions, what's missing and how we influence those. And that's it that we're looking at. Like with um, single producers, we, we work with our supply base and we, and we also work with industry working groups. That's how we've been managing it to date. And do you see a, a point where you will pay premium to producers for producing lower emissions? We work with 
within supply chains in certain geographies where we do. Um, I see a reason. Um, I see a reason why um, our customers abroad would be asking for Irish product because it meets that, and then that will drive it a mark a market demand. So there, there, there is there. It's already happening. It's just it's in different markets. It's just very market specific. And I, I suppose one of the areas which is is becoming on not so not so much on the legal side yet, but it, it's moving in that direction is the whole area of the share of uh, the out uh, the final value of a product that's going back to the farmer. It's an area that has been expressed as a concern at European level and more recently at, at Irish level with, with the uh, establishment by the, the minister of, a, 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 I think it's an, a, an ombudsman in this area. Uh, what is your view in, in terms of, or how do you see the ensuring of a fair uh, component of the, the final price going back to the producer? Is that part of, of what you define as sustainability in your, in your entire food system? Like obviously we need sustainable we need farms to be economically sustainable um and again like we need to look at this globally and it looks very different globally we have um across our supply chain and across our supply base we have farmers who have subsidies payments we have farms that don't have subsidies payments we have farms that have due to systems geographies sizes have significantly different cost of productions than others um so, like in truth, businesses need to be competitive and need to be sustainable. Um, and how that looks will vary. And we work with our supply chain to the best of our ability. But like a lot of like market price is uh, like a lot of that is difficult to combat. It's again, it's about collaborative working. And when you, you can't talk price in a lot of those forums because it's, it's not right. Um, so... <laughs> To be honest, I've, I'm aware I haven't really answered that question. <laughs> well, it's, it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one. Pat, Pat, one of the things to say is that, is that we're, we're commit, we're commit. What we've said we will do, we intend to do. So we're committed to to um to be, you know, to complete integrity with regards to meeting our targets, and we're also committed to working in partnership with other stakeholders. So, you know, that obviously involves, and so we, we don't exactly have the mechanism as to how that would work, but we're committed to working in partnership with all the stakeholders. And we're also committed to transparency within the industry. So whatever mechanisms are derived, and we'll certainly play our part in terms of trying to bring that about. Okay, Noel, a couple of more questions in there. Yeah, I suppose maybe the, the, the one question is is uh, around, you know, I suppose you, you find yourself sort of in the, in the middle um, and, and trying, to, trying to pull, as you said, all the collaborations together. Um, you know, that, that must be re really taxing on you because you have a very clear plan of what you want to achieve yet you're very much dependent on it on on the on the board beers and and the primary producers and so on in in helping you along that that pathway i suppose if he if he had a, a blank piece of paper um and you were you wanted to to set up a structure or a way of doing it would you have any thoughts on how you might do that to make it a little bit more uh to, to achieve what you want to achieve um how, how, how would you how would you design it any thoughts on that 
I've worked quite fortunate because we're involved with this kind of collaborative working across geographies. So we have experience around how how they do it in, in different in, 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 in different countries. Um, and I actually think the I know I'm from Ireland, so people say I can be <laughs> quite pro Irish at times. But the the thing is, you guys have the structures in place. You have like Board B is a massive percentage, like as farm insurance covers coverage you have the like the, the i'm not going to tell you guys about the travel advisors on farm but all of that is a combined approach which seems to you seem to really talk to each other and be driving the same messages on farm it, there's not different because there is an there is a challenge that different organizations in in other markets where farmers are being told quite a lot of different things um and it's it's not a very clear plan of this is your emissions these are these are the areas that we think you can reduce and these are the plans to do it. Um, so I, I actually think Ireland is is quite good at that. So what you're saying is you'd like to you see that replicated more? Yep. Yeah. Okay. And there's a qu question there in, in uh, I suppose, it, to the degree to which you rely on, uh, uh, I suppose, mitigation or the, the purchasing of, of credits uh, as opposed to the uh, actual reduction in your uh emissions to to achieve your, your your targets so in some markets we've we've purchased oh no i'm sorry i'm thinking soy credits i'm not thinking carbon yeah, credits so, um, yeah so we we are obviously it's a combination of both but you know we are working to try and offset you know put in actual offset solutions so so i think it's a combination of both so currently it's yeah currently the the plan is uh reductions is that we're doing reductions. We, it, it, sorry, the current plan is all around um, reductions. And do you take an active part in your own energy generation or around any of your plants or any initiatives in that space? Most of our initiatives to date have been around, um, you know, efficiency and, and saving. So for giving you some figures, we've, we've pretty, we've actually managed about half, and the, and the draw to site, we've nearly halved our, our gas usage through the recirculation of heat from our, our refrigeration uh, and to use that to, to preheat water for washing um, and also through food waste, which is obviously another major contributor to emissions. Uh, we're, we're close to our 50% target in terms of reduction, just to better, greater efficiency of usage okay. and making sure that everything gets used. So that's that's really been the focus to date. Um, but we are in, in you know exploring opportunities for offsetting through energy storage or energy generation on, on our sites. Okay. Listen, I think we're going to have to leave it there. I think it's pretty obvious that there is going to be no shortage of work for anybody involved in, in uh, your industry in the sustainability piece. You're going to be kept very busy. So listen, I'd like to take this opportunity on behalf of everyone to thank you for your, your presentations. I think it's given us a, a great insight into uh, uh, I suppose the, the elements of the food industry and and how they uh, and I suppose the lengths they're going to to try and and improve sustainability of the of the food we produce. So th thank you very much for that. It's much appreciated. Uh, just to finish, next week we will be joined by uh, Dr. Andrew Crummy, and he'll be talking about the role of genetics in addressing greenhouse gas in in, in agriculture in agriculture and and what the future holds there. Uh, I'd like to thank our production team of uh, Yvonne Marr and Andy Boland and thanks to, to Noel and uh, enjoy your weekend and we'll see you again next week. Thanks very much.
You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.